Hi, and welcome back to the She Built This podcast. So you thought that last week's episode was fun? Oh boy, this week's episode is going to be equally fun and exciting because I, as I've promised to do throughout this year, I am bringing back a familiar face, a former podcast guest, Terry Trespicio, and we are going to chat about, well, we talk about a lot of things, uh, namely this, namely when you feel like there is something more. You feel like there is something else that you want to go after, or maybe there's just like another piece of this little puzzle called life that is going to help you to create more meaning, leave you feeling more fulfilled. And maybe you feel like you can't figure out what that thing is, or you have something that is holding you back and you can't muster the courage to take that next step. We are going to get into Terry's experience as a published author and what's changed in her life since the release of her book, Unfollow Your Passion. We're going to talk about how she's handled bad reviews and feedback, negative feedback, and how that's like impacted her. And then we're going to go straight into getting into these non-truths, these things that keep, keep us from pursuing the work that we love, the work that we want to do, the work that makes us feel fulfilled. Things like waiting for authority or approval, uh, having talent, having passion, not having motivation, and maybe not having the confidence before you actually get started. A little bit about Terry. Terry Trespicio is an award-winning writer, speaker, brand advisor, and author of Unfollow Your Passion. Her TED Talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has surpassed 7 million views, and she was recently named by HubSpot as one of the top 18 female speakers who are killing it. She came in at number two, Oprah was number eight and one of the world's leading creatives by Creative Boom magazine. And everything we talked about today, all of the resources that Terry offers, her TED Talk, um, her website, all of her links are going to be in the show notes, including the books that we talk about at the end, which you might want to add some of those to be to your to be read list. Um, I'm also going to have Terry's book in the show notes and her free Passion Trap mini course are going to be in the show notes as well. So make sure that you check those out. And in the meantime, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Terry Trespicio and me. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, Terry, and welcome back to the She Built This podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. My listeners know that I'm only bringing my, not only bringing my favorite people back, but I'm bringing my favorite people back this year to go deeper into conversations that we really only had like a little bit of time to get into. So um, we read your bio before you joined us, but I would love to hear like what has changed for you? What is different for you right now in your life? Like what are you cooking up over there? Because it seems like you're up to a lot. It seems like that, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's so funny, like what someone's life feels like and what other people's perception of what your life is. It never ceases to amaze me how weird it is. People think you're like, you're everywhere. I'm like, I'm on my couch. Uh, but you, last time we talked, I believe the book had just come out. 
because that was, yeah, that was very kind of you because it really helps, right? To talk about that when the book comes out. And so a lot of people like, what are you doing since your book comes out? Are you working on your second book? Short answer, no. Okay, not right me, now. <laughs> tell me why. Well, yeah, well, because I want to know what's ready. changed for you since that book has come out because it must be like this personal evolution, right? As you're watching this come out. It is an out. evolution. Yeah. I think that's the right word because I think at least- uh, I didn't know what happens when a book comes out, uh, any book, but specifically when you have a traditional book type, like a rollout from a traditional publisher. That's something I'd never experienced before. And I did it. And you know what? The year it came out was one of the hardest years I've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. And when I was at my highest height, I'm doing all these podcasts, I'm doing fun stuff. I get to talk about it. People are being so wonderful and supportive. A lot of those days in January, I was on my couch, on my back, just crying because I felt really lost. Um, I had spent so much time, as anyone who's put together any book knows, it takes over your life. And it's not things you're you're not getting paid really to do it. Even if you had an advance, please, my advance was spoken for. I'd hired people to help me with the launch and, and, and the preparing of the manuscript. And so it wasn't like, it's like it took my eye off everything else. And so all of a sudden I go, whoa, what am I, how, where is income? Like I had that moment of panic when you've been focusing on a thing and then you turn around and you go, oh my gosh. And so I had a real low point. And I thought this is so ironic because you think, oh, everything's great. My book come out. Blah, blah, blah. And I didn't feel like that. I felt really weird and sad, except I also felt really proud because I was glad of the work I did. So it's not like the book was disappointing. I'm really proud of that book. The book, once you, this is my feeling is now, Emily. And everyone's book journey is different. So I'm not saying this is for everyone, but for me. Uh, the minute the book is done, out of your hands, created on a shelf, it's no longer yours. It's mm -hmm. whoever puts it on their shelf. It's who reads it, what they think of it. Their feeling about the book is the reality of the book to that person. And then you're like, well, now what? Right. But at the same time, you can't be attached to what you thought the book would do. A book on its own, it if you're if you have a runaway bestseller, it will change your life quickly. I think for most of us who are not bestsellers out of the gate, I'm a brand new author. No one but my community knows who I am. And so I had a wonderful reception from my community, but you know, I didn't take over the world with it. And I think you're not supposed to necessarily assume that you would do that. So then the work of the book of making it is done. And now what you have on your hands is a business. You can't just put it on a shelf and think it's going to just make money uh, ad infinitum forever. You have to maintain it, put invest time and effort into making sure it's in front of people that you're offering it, you know, when you're doing a speaking event, like doing things to kind of keep it with you. But, and this is not everyone's experience with a nonfiction book because not everyone chooses to do this, but I realized being someone who loves teaching and leading workshops and doing all that kind of stuff, that now the book enters its life as mm. a tool, yeah. as a platform, because yeah, I have a book, I love that. But so what? Now what? Now, either someone's going to read it or it's going to sit on their shelf forever. How can I take all of the hard work that was in there and use it to create and support a viable business, helping other people do what they most want to do? And that was the intent of the book anyway. So I love sort of this. Like some, some, some people do that vice versa, right? They take the framework or the thing that they've created and turn it into a book. So I love that you kind of had Both. that like, yeah. That's awesome. It's, so it's like, 
goes like this. Like you take your life experience and your insights, you turn into a book, and now the book informs what you do next. One question I want to ask if you're comfortable sharing is, did you get any like negative feedback on the book? And Always. how did you feel about that? Because in oh, Gateless, we're so used to like amazing positive feedback and everybody's saying yep. what they love. And then you put something out in the real world and it is not Gateless feedback in the real world. Suzanne, founder of Gateless, and I always say like, we think that we think it's going to make us un like people will say, oh, but if I only hear good things and I go out in the world, I'm going to get more hurt. The point of the gateless method, which is a specific approach to content generation and creative development that does not rely on criticism or judgment, right? Only looking for what works and building craft. Um, what that does, it's not meant to turn you into a hothouse flower where now you can't cope because I need my people to tell me how great I am. It's meant to be like a mental and spiritual gym. So that I am stronger because I understand what works in the work. Mm -hmm. And not like I depend on other people only for the feedback, but now I know what works. That's the key. So what that did for me is I was less interested in what people outside of that had to say. So yeah, you catch on a wrong day, you catch one of your reviews and it's going to make you pissed or it's going to make you be like, ah, but also I meant to write a subversive book. It looks very shiny right. and friendly and easygoing. Right. It's very subversive. I'm challenging everything we, especially women, have been told. And so I would be shocked if no one reacted negatively. I would think I didn't do my job. So if you go on Amazon and look at the lower starred reviews, you will see mainly men who do not like that I seem to not like men. Not true. Uh, that I, I'm a man hater, that I blame men for everything. Actually, I never said anything like that in the book, but it's like guilty conscience needs no accuser. Like uh, if you're feeling bad about it, maybe you should feel bad about it. But also that's not my, it's not my critic. I am choosing who I get feedback from and I don't care about that. One woman gave me a bad review because I didn't write it 20 years ago when she needed it. Oh no. I was like, are you I was kidding like, me? But I wasn't, I was wished I had it 20 years ago. People review things for the weirdest things. I am one of those people who's like, I have to remind my, I have to remind myself even to look at reviews. I bought a cat water fountain for my cats and I, and it broke immediately. And I was like, what is this? And I looked online. It had the lowest stars. I am not attuned to looking at reviews when I should. And that's a gift because I don't look. In fact, oh. a few of my friends who are authors were on a text thread and they're like, I just got this horrible review. And someone goes, oh no, don't look on Goodreads. Uh, they're, they're the worst. And uh, and so then I was like, well, why don't, let's just look for a minute. And everyone goes, stop, everyone stop. They're like, stop looking. It's not helpful. So I really like, I don't care. In fact, Emily, I had, I don't know if I told you, no, I couldn't have told you this last time. I had sold books to an event where I was their keynote. And afterwards they got the books. They bought like, you know, 50 or what copies, whatever. And they returned them because they were very maybe conservative, maybe conservative right. I don't know. I don't know what it was. They were in the financial business, which you tend to get a lot of people there kind of religious. I don't know. But they tackily demanded a refund. And I wish they'd all burned them and put them on Instagram with them burning the books because that would have got me a lot more sales than them returning them. Uh, so cowardly returning them to the book retailer, which I thought was so lowbrow. 
But wow. I was like, first I was a little upset and I wrote to the publisher and I was like, um, these guys like return the book. And I was so mad and how dare they, they know me personally. And they were like, this is not professional. That That's what they said. And the publisher goes, and this is Atria at Simon Schuster. They go, we don't give up, you know what, about 50 books from those people. We do not care. We stand by our authors. And I was like, amen. So yeah, be careful that's- who you listen to. That's the bottom line. So tell me what you're up to now. You're kind of like taking a little bit of a, it's not, it's not a, um, it's not a segue. It's in correlation, but you're speak, you're helping speakers specifically put out like in a way, in a gateless way is what I've gathered is you're helping speakers to get their message out there. I have been helping speakers and I will always help speakers. That's a very specific skill, right? Like there's, it's like teaching someone how to write a sonnet. You're like, here's the beats. Here's the iambic pentameter. And I love doing that. And I did that last year. And, and I did a bunch of speaker intensives in a row. I want to add the caveat is I don't have another one scheduled right now. And I'll tell you why, because I am interested in teaching people some of those more skill-based, very specific, but you're right. And that I have really fallen in love with taking the gateless method into, uh, different realms, different groups of people. So yes, no one had used Gateless to create like TED style talks before. And I love doing that. I will do it again. But right now, based on the fact that I have what is up there as a mainstream title, personal development title, is I'm now turning my attention to people who don't already know exactly what their business is and exactly what they're going to do. Their TED talk, like they might be like, wait, I could do something else. They're in the place of just waking up to it and curious about investing their time and energy into something really meaningful that may or may not require that they leave their main income, right? But people who are really looking to do that, and here's what I'm fascinated with, what keeps us from doing and trying the things that we have said to ourselves we want to do, the one thing that we know would bring meaning if we do it and we don't do it. And to me, that is creative block, but that's also the metaphor I've been using lately is it's an invisible fence that we have the shock collar on Mm. and we don't even know it's there. And we want to run out and do something, but something in this tells us, wait, I'm not supposed to walk that far on the property because I have a vague old memory of being hurt or being told not to. And so we have mapped ourselves inside of a smaller perimeter based on invisible beliefs and ideas that keep us from doing it. Whatever it is, speak, write, start a business, be like Emily Aborn, which as far as I see, everyone wants to be. Um, Those kinds of things, they don't even know if they could and they can't go anywhere unless they understand what's holding them back. I've got a couple questions, uh, obviously. Um, Are there people that like don't know what that thing is? Like that, mm-hmm. that would say, I don't even know, like, it, like it's yes. so you, you're, you're in such an invisible fence. You can't even see what might be on yes. the other side of the fence. I will give you an example. I was just yeah. talking to her today and this woman is a psychiatrist. She is practical. She is medically trained, traditionally, conventionally trained. She's been a psychiatrist for years and years and years. And just this year, she was like, I'm going to sign up for the speaker intensive. And I, I was like, this is great. I, wh- you know, are you looking to give a talk? She goes, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm doing it. She goes, I just feel like I should do it. That, and you know what? There are a few people in there. They did yeah. not know why they were there. And she said, I just want to know that I'm going to have a process that I can use again and again. And I said, yes, you will. 
that woman was dynamite. And I was like, why aren't you on stages doing stuff? She's like, I don't know. I never thought about it. And just today, this is less than six months ago, she, she showed her screen to our group today. And she goes, oh, here's what I created. She showed all this content, emails, videos. And I go, what? And she said, I'm thinking of offering this at a low, the low, low price of $7. I go, $7? What are you doing? I said, this is worth more. She's like, well, I don't know. She doesn't yet realize how powerful what she's doing is. And she has no, she didn't say to herself, I'm going to be a content marketer and an entrepreneur. She goes, I just want to work with patients less. And I want to do this. And I don't know what this is. And I said, don't put any rules on it. You just keep making it. I'm not, I'm bullying yeah, you to yeah. charge for it, but she's just doing it. So she goes, I don't even know what I'm doing, but this is so fun. And it's so easy. That is what I'm talking about. Where you start to make something and you go, why didn't I know I could do this? She could very well make a living doing that at some point. So you're kind of saying like, just follow what you're curious about or what like- kind Just of do it, make you. it. Yeah, exactly. And because don't... she doesn't know. She didn't say, well, I'm passionate about content or I'm passionate about this. She's like, I'm a psychiatrist. And I find that therapists who are not psychiatrists don't understand um, how certain medicine works and they're afraid to touch it because they're not medical doctors. Mm. She's like, I want to help the therapist. But this is kind of conversationally she's done this, but now she's turning it into a thing. I think there's a huge loss of intellectual richness and value to us all. If people who are really experts don't see that they could do and share what they know. Um, okay. So my next question is what are some of those things that you would say really are like, what are some of the things from the past that are holding people back oh, from? Yeah. My Just God, how long a, do we have? A, you give have me a sampling, give me a taster flight. <laughs> so I'll give you the next five hours. I'm no, just kidding. Um, well, this is what I, I am tackling first. And I think the first of it is confidence. It's the thing that people always say. They say, oh, well, I'd love to do it, but I just, I'm not like confident in it. I've never done it. I'm not confident yet. And I go, uh, what do you think? You're not going to have confidence in a thing you haven't done. You do it anyway. You're going to do it and you're going to earn confidence. That's like saying, I can't have a job. I have no money yet. Well, how do you think you're going to get the money? I think we've given a lot and maybe too much attention to confidence as something I need, like a uh, seatbelt in order to drive. But confidence will not protect you. You can be very confident. You could easily get hurt. I'm confident about some things and not others. Um, so confidence is one of them. But let me speed through the high level so you just get yeah. the idea. Confidence is one. Passion's another because people think, well, I have to know first. I have to know first exactly what I'm supposed to do and what it should be. And until I figure that, I can't do anything. That's nice. That's a great luxury that you have to procrastinate everything. Don't do it. Uh, know that you could become passionate about lots of things. Another one is authority. Not only that we feel we need to be an authority, but we think we need it to be blessed by an authority. You know, people be like uh, all the time giving their work to a writer. When, is this worth it? Is this good? Should I pursue it or not? It's like, do you want to? Because it sounds like you're saying, am I a sure thing? Should I work on it or not? And that's that's not how that works. So reevaluating the role of authority in your life is another one because you might have to choose something. Well, if you want to do something, you might have to disappoint someone else, challenge someone else. And sometimes people would rather avoid the conflict than try it at all. And then another one, of course, talent. Oh, I don't, I, I, uh, <laughs> mm. I don't have the talent. I, I don't have the DNA for that. Uh, Emily, I went on a gateless retreat in Italy 
few weeks ago and I met a woman there and I said, oh, well, it's nice to meet you. What are you working on or what brings you? Oh, oh, she said, I'm not creative. I'm not a writer. I'm not. I was like, okay. She was so quick to tell me what she wasn't. She goes, I'm not really creative type, but you know, and I go, uh, with all due respect, I said, I believe you must be because people who are not creative writers do not sign up for creative writing retreats in Italy. But it was almost like hard to claim it because she thought she hadn't been told that she was talented yet. Um, and then the last one's motivation. So there's five, right? Uh, motivation is another one um, because we think, well, I'm not motivated yet. I guess I have to wait for it. Or if I really wanted to do it, I would just be motivated. And motivation, the backwards way that we look at that, we think it's a something we have first, like confidence, but motivation is a side effect. You know, I didn't really care about working out until I started working out and exercising more with lifting weights, which I'd never done my whole life. And once I started doing it, then I was motivated. So passion, authority, talent, confidence, motivation, those five are a problem. And I don't think you need any of them to be able to tiptoe off the property. Okay. I want to, I want to pick two, um, authority. Authority is one I feel like I'm like literally, I think sometimes waiting for somebody to give up permission or that stamp of approval on me doing something or like, like the, like I need like the cheerleaders before I can do it. And then one I hear from other people. Well, hang on. Authority. You said cheerleaders though. Yeah. Is the cheerleader is one thing, but do you think you need to be, do you think you need someone who's a higher up hierarchically to tell you you're allowed or the cheerleader seems to be coming from an energy supporting energy, which do you think is most helpful to you? Great question. I mean, I think an authority would be lovely, right? To have that person that is right. pr- proud of you and give you the stamp of approval and tell you you can do it and <laughs> you're a superstar. Yes. So maybe that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when I hear from other people is motivation and inspiration. Like they just expect it to fall from the sky. Yes. You know, that's on how you get your work done. I have to sit down and put on a stupid two hour timer and start going. And then I feel really motivated and inspired. <laughs> that is how my brain works creatively. And I, I'm sure it's not the same for everybody, but sitting around and waiting for it is never a successful thing. <laughs> well, you know what? You're, you're, you're dancing up a really important point here, which is when you don't feel motivated, okay? And there's lots of days that neither you or I feel motivated, right? There's days where you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to lie here. Like, or you feel like nothing actually matters. Uh, mm. I don't, why am I doing this? That is boredom. And boredom is critical to creative thinking. We have to reach the point of boredom. In fact, you must allow yourself to get bored. And I don't mean just put your phone away and then do something on your computer instead. Like, I mean, total boredom, which I will make sure I feel a little of, not all the time, but when it arises, I try not to fight it. Because what I learned from other experts who've studied this was that what boredom is, is the all of a sudden everything loses its color, its meaning. I don't even care. Nothing even matters. I don't even care. You need that to bring you down to zero, right? So that you can start to go, well, what actually does interest me? So I talk about boredom as a kind of detox because everything can't be important all the time. People think that's what motivation is. Everything's important. Everything's not important. It can't be. You can't do anything if everything's important. And if you're bored with enough things, then you're going to have to go, well, You wait till that passes as it does, and then something will go, well, this might be something I could get off the couch for. 
I'll make myself do it. Good. Good. Now you've picked something. The problem is we don't pick. We assume we have all the time in the world. We take on everything everyone needs and everything we want to do. We have a million projects and we will not have more time to get them done. We have to choose. One of the things I talked about in a recent podcast episode of my other podcast is um, getting like a creative, (laughs) yes, I have to, uh, getting a creative spark. And I was working on this like kind of like boring client project. It was, it was truly boring. Like I was like this. Truly boring. Dull (laughs) as all get out. And I don't ever want to do this again. But you know what it did for me is it built up like this almost like creative pressure. Like it was like this pressure oh, inside I that. that I was like, uh, I have to do something interesting. And then I knew what that interesting thing was because it was building up all of this like creative pressure is the only way I can describe it. So I love that concept of letting yourself get bored and just being like, this is okay. Like balancing my QuickBooks or doing my mileage or whatever those mundane tasks are, right? That are just like so dull. Those can actually be used to your creative advantage. I think if you're using them, if you're open to them. I love that image. I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to remember it. And I want to share it that you had, it was almost like someone took the soda bottle and just shook it up and all these, it was all bubbling up inside you. And that was important because then Think about it. If that one, not that you don't want exciting client work, we all do. But if someone else's work had you totally engaged and never wanted to do anything else, yeah, where would you get yeah. the gusto to do your two to 10 podcasts that you do? You know what I mean? Like you need to have that. I think we don't really respect the flow of that, The that we can have those ups and downs. Like people aren't motivated and they panic. Oh my God, I didn't feel like doing anything today. It's like, oh, you mean you're human and you discovered yeah. that you're not a robot? <laughs> Oh my God. I love that. Okay. Talk to me about the authority one. Coach me through authority and why I don't need coach you through. <laughs> we all love it. Uh, we all need, we all crave it. We crave my uncle who was a priest and studied in Rome said, uh, everyone loves to be waved at from a high window and the Pope, you know, whatever. And we loved the queen. I mean, we love to be waved at. We want to be acknowledged. Uh, of course, this is not that we don't need authority and we're going to have complete anarchy. I'm not a fan of anarchy. I was and am firstborn daughter of three. I was a straight A student. I was Catholic. I mean, you don't get more compliant than that. And I was. Uh, and I really, it mattered to me. All that mattered was that my parents approved, that I, the teachers approved, that people liked me. I mean, those things still matter. I still get a thrill if I win something or if I do, of course. But what I started to question were what are my, what is my relationship to certain authority? Because the Catholic church doesn't have the authority over me anymore. We've long since parted ways on many things. Uh, I question, okay, are you doing this for approval? Whose approval? What will it do if you get it? What will it do if you don't get it? So that my knee jerk is not just to, please or impress someone higher up. Of course, I still always want to impress people. I mean, like I'm, I'm wanting to do that. I think you and I are similar in that way. We type A, we want to do it right. But the question is, are we so afraid of disappointing someone whom we respect? Okay. It doesn't have to be your boss, but someone you respect. Are you that afraid of disappointing or upsetting or making them, you know, shudder that you will pass on everything else you want. Because to me, it's, that's not an option. I know I have a lot of luxury of agency here because 
I don't have a spouse. I don't have kids. I, no one's telling me what to do, really. And I still seek authority and approval. But the question to ask ourselves is, why? And what are we contorting ourselves into or away from to please? Is it worth living your whole life without doing the things you really wanted to do or try just so no one gets upset? And I don't think, I can't imagine the answer to that is yes. Yeah, uh, no, the answer is not yes. But sometimes it feels like the answer is yes. <laughs> sometimes because conflict. I mean, who yeah. wants that? Yeah. I'd rather yeah. tiptoe yeah. away or avoid it, of course. But I'm not willing to really jeopardize all of my, you know what I mean? Like, I hate to disappoint someone, but I have to recognize that, um, that we all will at some point. And that our goal is not to not disappoint everyone. That was not what we were born to do, but it is, of course, how women were trained to think. I think you set a really good example of that. And I think that that also builds your confidence. Like that is a, that is a courage step, right? To walk mm -hmm. away from that need for authority. Yes. And that helps to build that confidence as you do it more and more and more in yourself, not just mm -hmm. in what other people are telling you, you should be confident in. Right. <laughs> it's hard to tell someone to be confident, right? Yes. Talk to me about the idea of talent. Like, I don't actually even know if I have ever been talented at anything. So wait, what? Wait, when, when I say this, I mean, like I was the kid that would start something. So I would start gymnastics. I would start basketball. I would start soccer. I would do all of these things. And I was good for like the first two days. Like people would be like, wow, she's a sensation. Like I naturally just picked <laughs> things up quickly. But then I would hit a point where I just was like terrible at it and I stayed terrible. So I always just thought, oh, I don't have natural talent, right? Like I'm not like yes. I can show up and do a nice little song and dance for the first day, but I don't have natural talent. So talk to me about like what maybe the misconceptions are around natural talent, talent, and like why we don't actually need those things to get started. You and I are similar in that way. I love to start a thing and dabble a little and then get the hell out. Yeah. And actually in my, in the way I think about it, I think it might be the opposite. If I can wow people that I have talent, if I stay long enough to hit a wall or hit a challenge, I might disprove that I was talented. So if I, it's kind of like if you hit a hole in one on the day one of golf, if you really believe in talent, you'll never play again. Right. You'll think that you can't because you can't top it. And I believe that, first of all, we all want to be told we're talented. We want to believe we are talented. Of course, I am no exception. Uh, I have to say, though, did you not get that? I, I just have this image in my mind of you as a kid and teachers being like, oh, Emily, she's so talented. Is that not something you heard all the time well, or something? Well, I didn't go to school, so. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in any, any, any person of, um, but no, I mean, like I any superior you know, hierarchically higher person. I think that I was talented as a, I think that people, like I would write a lot of poems and stories. And so my yeah. grand, my grandmother would say I was talented. And then like, I would paint, I took painting classes and I remember them saying like, oh, you're such a talented painter, <laughs> but I'm definitely you know not that. a talented painter. <laughs> well, what determines, right? I mean, is, I've it becomes this question work. of, is talent something? You've seen it. Is talent the thing that becomes better and better if we work at it? Or is talent something that should be effortless? And mm. if we believe it should be effortless, we will be afraid of trying. We will be afraid of work. Uh, 
talent is incredibly, as an idea, I find incredibly fragile because we're afraid anything that messes it up even for a second will prove that we're not talented. And we can't bear that, especially if someone thought we were. So we love to come in saying we have no talent, like that woman on the retreat. I have no talent for this and I can't, I'm, uh, I can't do this and that because she wants to protect me from how not talented she is. And she doesn't, she's trying to protect herself from how it might feel to not be the most talented one in the room, whatever that means. Uh, I think talent is a, a, a risky, fragile thing to hang on to. You can have a knack for things. I know we both know things that we don't have a knack for, but, and I always got that too, because I was loved writing my poems and loved writing. I really loved, did well with writing papers and I enjoyed it. And it was, oh, she's talented. It made me think there was some kind of guarantee. It's almost like an excuse for not doing the work, like not doing doing any hard work. It's like, oh, if I'm just not naturally good at it, then I shouldn't do it. And in fact, that is one of the the studies that everyone sent me when it came out. And I was so glad they did. The study was published in Psychological Science. I wrote about in the book, actually, where they looked at people who believed they were born to do a thing and they just had to figure out what that was and they'd be awesome and so motivated. And then people who believed that they would grow and discover things, right? Growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm. And the fixed mindset, and this was only about passion. What do you think about passion? There was a fixed mindset passion people, growth mindset passion people. And the people who had a fixed passion, they thought, uh, fixed mindset. They thought once I find that thing, it'll be the right thing. We're actually more likely to give up when things got hard because they would assume it wasn't the right passion or they're not talented and that, you know, that kind of thing. It's the same idea. Oh, it must be the wrong one. So now I'll have total tunnel vision around this other thing. And they would do that. And then, so they ended up quitting more and that doesn't bode well. Because if you're so super focused on one thing and then, oh my God, I thought I was going to be a doctor and now I'm this age and I'm not going to be a doctor. Well, now you think you failed at something. They didn't fail. Could you have really imagined 10, 20 years ago, you're like, oh, you're going to be running two podcasts. I didn't even know what a podcast was. Right? So we can't know. And, And I think the fun part is discovering all the things that you could be talented at. What if all media and the internet went away? And you had to, to survive, you were going to have to make pottery. I don't know if you've ever made pottery. What if it turned out that you kind of liked it and you did it more and more and you got better and better? There's things you have talent for that you might never have occasion to learn. I would say, what about the person who grew up in the desert who never went skiing, but would have been an Olympic skier if they were there? Like, we're not going to develop everything, but that's okay. That wasn't the goal to find my one precious talent. We're going to use what we have. If it's no fun using it and learning it, why? the heck are we doing it? Okay. On the topic of passion, it's, it's related. Do you encounter people that are like, they've been doing something for so long and they have all this like reliability, longevity put into it that they really have a hard time letting go of it. Well, you're meaning that they make their living from it and their identity is in it. Yeah. Yeah. Their identity is in it. Like, what am I, if not this? And so- People must bump into this all of the time. I did. I mean, I was so excited when I got a job as a magazine editor. I'd always fantasized that I could be that. And for like seven years, I was a magazine editor. And I it was I was so proud of being that. And I got to be a radio host on Sirius XM. And I was like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a magazine editor. And I get to host a live daily radio show. Like, I loved doing it. And I felt like, oh, that's me. I found my calling. I had all the thoughts. 
and then when you get laid off, you no longer have a radio show. You're no longer a radio show host. And if you don't work in a magazine, you're not a magazine editor. And that's when I was like, okay, but I could have applied there. I'm in New York City. There's a million magazines. You'd think if I'm a real magazine editor, I would just jump to another one, which they all do. Hop, 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 get laid off, laid off, laid off. And I said, I don't really want it. I've done it. Like, why? Why would I do that again? And then I said, okay, well, if I'm not a magazine editor, well, who am I? What am I? And I thought, well, I have this whole bag of tools and tricks and things I know how to do. Someone needs them. Someone with a budget. Someone needs something that I can do. And I refuse to think that they don't need me because the people who have that skill who are employed at magazines are too busy being underpaid to do consulting work. And so I grew very quickly. Why? Because I had no idea what I wanted to be. And I took everything that appealed, remotely appealed to me. And I was like, oh, I could try that. I could do that. And I let go of all the ideas of who I was. And I just did what I knew I could do. And I did the hell out of it. And I was like, oh, I like doing this, but I hate you. I'm going to go work for someone else. And I just did consulting. I got to change hats a lot, which not everyone's in a position to do or has a nervous system to do. And I get that, but I loved it. And I have never looked back. But depending on the day you see me, I could be anything. Today, I'm a podcast guest. We're talking about this stuff. Tomorrow, I could be brand messaging for a financial firm. Like I could be doing lots of things. I don't think it helps to identify with any one thing. I was just just about to ask you, how do you define yourself now? But also, what do you say to people when you're like out at a networking event and they're like, they ask the question, which everybody asks at every single networking event, like, so what do you do? Every day you ask me, I'll have a different answer because I don't have an elevator pitch. I don't have a tagline. I don't like saying those things. I, I literally change it based on who I'm talking to and where I am. So when I go to this luncheon I'm going to in a, in two weeks, where they're all business owners and they're writers and editors and they manage firms, all this stuff, it's going to come to me and I'm going to choke and die inside as I do every time everyone else does too. What do you do? And I go pick a thing. I go pick a thing. And I say, well, yeah, today I, my name is Terry Jasbisha. I published a book just a few years ago I'm excited about and, and I'll do it for you right now. What would I say today? I'd say, and right now I'm really focused on launching a series of courses that help people to access their genius and creativity so they can do what they really want to do. Now, I'll probably, I won't remember how I said that and I'll never say the same way again, but it's kind of what I'm working on now. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care how I describe myself and if it's different every time. Who cares? I Nobody. I love that. And I also think it's such a good question to ask back to people at networking events because there Why? is nothing more deflating than being asked, like, what do you do? And it just kind of like brings the conversation down from the get go. So I like asking people, I like that question. What are you working on right now? What are you excited What's about up? right now? Like, what did you do today at work? You know, like questions Yeah, because like no that. one wants to be defined. What if they're in the middle of a huge project that they hate and they actually wish they weren't doing it? Yeah. The last thing they want to do is define themselves as that. No one wants to be labeled. So I'm not going to give you a label and I don't assume someone else is just an an accountant or just a lawyer or just a business owner. What are you working on now? What's what problem are you trying to solve right now? That makes for a way better conversation. And when I hear you tell me what kind of problem you're struggling with, it doesn't actually matter what industry you're in. It's you're dealing with people. Me too. Let's talk about it. Yeah. All right. Um, are you ready for my two rapid roundup questions? I call them rapid, but like you don't have to talk fast or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Go fast. 
Um, okay. One of them is, is there a question that you wished I asked that I didn't ask? Uh, that's a, that's a great one. No, I don't have anything that I wish you asked me. Okay. Nothing, um, my nothing that I'm is, missing. My second one is what are you, ah, it's a toss up either. What are you reading right now? Or who's your favorite author? Yes. So maybe you should answer both because they're both. Well, I don't actually have a favorite author. Um, I am always excited about what I'm reading right now. And I prepared a list for you because I can't just sit down and read one book from beginning to end. I always have my hand in a bunch. I'm sure you do too, because some aren't Kindle, some I'm listening to, right? So I'll tell you, I started this last night. I am sure you've seen it. And if not, you and everyone who listens to She Built This needs it. It's David Baker's book, The Business of Expertise, which is not new. He has a newer one out. But this one is like, oh my God, why didn't I have this 10 years ago? Why didn't I read this five years ago? It's been out. It talks about all the ways to think about positioning and working with clients. And it's fantastic. Okay. But a book I'm listening, so that's one, a book I'm listening to right now that is beautifully written and so thought-provoking is Monsters by Claire Dieterer. And she's basically looking at these monsters of our culture who have created works that we love. Woody Allen, Michael Jackson, all the loaded and difficult stuff that we love, but feel we're not allowed to love the nature of cultural criticism mm. and the the whole machine of it. She's brilliant. And the writing is just so good. So I've been listening to her for a couple of days. Oh, that's... And I'm also reading Pachinko. Fiction, Pachinko right now. Everyone's read it but me. I'm catching up. And it is a delicious story that I just started, but, and it's like a beast. It's huge. But all my uh, friends were like, you didn't read Pachinko. And I was like, I was afraid of it. They're like, no, just read it. <laughs> One thing I do love that you do. And I, I always look, see it. And I'm like, I need to start doing that is you share in your newsletter so often, like books that you recommend or books that you read. And I've gotten so many great reads from your newsletter. Like really, me, I haven't done that in a while. So, I mean, obviously, I'm so glad you, you said that. Obviously, you helped Daisy Florin with her book. I loved that book, loved My oh. Last Innocent Year. Um, and yes. then the other one I that just like jumps out at me just left, uh, from memory is Otessa Mogfesh's books. Like, I actually read like three of them because she's such a yes, fun me writer. too. Yeah, she's so fun. She's so, and you have to read something because the writing is interesting, mm -hmm. right? Not just to learn stuff, right? You read David Baker because you're going to learn insights into your own business, but you read other stuff to just enjoy the landscape of their language and their characters and their world. And I promised myself this summer, like you're not just writing emails all day, every day. Like you must read. Like I want the time to read. I was like, what are you waiting for? Take it. So I've listening, listening to them and going on a long walk. I'm making myself not turn on the TV and just read. And it just makes me feel so much happier. I agree. Um, I'm totally, I'm kind of this whole year being like, I'm not reading a lot of serious, like business self-help, that kind of books. I'm How much spending, can you read? <laughs> I know, I know. I read a lot of them, um, but I'm spending a lot more time this year just reading for fun, just like enjoyable. And Literature. Enjoyable yes, exactly. You know what Daisy told me? about what makes something, well, it, she learned it from someone else, but whatever, Daisy's who told me, we were talking about it. What makes something literature? First of all, it's very subjective, but this definition really stuck with me. Literature is something that you read, not just to find out what happens. Hmm. And so I think 
that's why I crave that kind of book. Not because I'm so highfalutin and like I need to read real literature, but because I like something that can sink my teeth into that has texture that you can feel yourself moving through it. You're not just going through it like water to find out who killed who. That's not fun for me anyway. Yeah. And you like look forward to it all day long, getting back to it when you can get back into it. I, that's my favorite is when yes. I think about a book throughout the day and I'm like, I have to go back and read my book. <laughs> Wait, I Laura Belgray says it has to be unput downable for her to stick with it. Yeah. And she and Elise, okay, Elise Ben and Laura Belgray are, and Daisy are some of my the people that I say, tell me what I should read. And two of the three of them, at least I know, are reading Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. I have not an idea what it's about. Of course, I read Barbara King's offer, but like 30 years ago, everyone apparently loves this book. So it's on my list, but I haven't read it yet. And I just think it sounds like an Emily thing. Why did my TBR list just gain four books? (laughs) (laughs) This isn't, I'm never asking you this question again. (laughs) Um, All right, Terry, this was fun. Why don't you let us know how to find and connect with you online so that people can get in on whatever you're offering next? Well, the thing I would offer is very much connected to what we were just talking about, those five things about passion, motivation, confidence. I did this year, one of my big projects I'm excited about is created a free mini course that walks you through all five and uses writing prompts to help you understand what your relationship to those things are, um, is, are, I think I messed that up. It's terryjustbeeshow.com slash trap. The name of it is called The Passion Trap, Five Half-Truths Keeping You from Living a Full Life. And it's just terrygespeacher.com slash trap and it's free. And I I wanted to share it. So I hope that people listening will find it useful. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And then um all of your links for your social media and all of that. We're all stuff. there. I'm on it all will the, be in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. Except threads. I'm not there yet, but I will be. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. We should have started with that conversation. Um I'm, Everyone I know signed up and has done nothing with it. I'm, but yes, they did sign up. That's what I did. I'm just watching. You did? I'm like, TBD. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's talk about it off air, though. Yeah. All right. Clearly, it's so very much. loud here. Thank you. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.